Greetings, my good people. What is happening? What is going on? How are we feeling? Slept well? Ate well? Had a good weekend? Monday off to a good start? I hope that's all the case and then some. Here as I deliver some sports on a just gargantuan sports weekend with so many things to discuss and get into here on the latest edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in. Thank you for downloading and listening to this content to hear me talk about what's happening in the world of sports. So welcome aboard, and for those who've been with me on this journey for now, episode 65, I welcome you guys back here on a Monday, tax day, April 15th, the year of the Lord, 2019, or is it the 18th? I know they gave that reprieve a few years back, who knows, but historically we know it's the 15th, so make sure you pay your debt to Uncle Sam, or make sure you get everything in so you can get a refund or whatever it may be, so sports, too much to discuss, I wish I had 50 TVs yesterday because I certainly needed it. We're going to touch everything on the Islanders' un- just surprising series. What you, I, I still can't believe it. I can't even put words to it, considering that they're up 3-0 against the Pittsburgh Penguins. They could close it out tomorrow night and have their first series sweep as a victory since the 1983 Stanley Cup Final when they swept Edmonton to win their fourth straight Stanley Cup to think. That's been 36 years, and they could do that tomorrow. Granted, it's only the first round. It's not a cup final. But we'll have that. The disappointing Tampa Bay Lightning, which you know I'm going to certainly – Spew some venom toward them. The NBA postseason weekend is already in the books, and we have the Brooklyn Nets victorious, or is it more Philly's dysfunction? That's going to be the interesting storyline here, as I'll touch on that a little bit later on, as well as the rest of the NBA this opening weekend. Orlando with a great win on the road, as well as San Antonio, maybe to not a lot of people's surprise, beating Denver the way they did. And we'll recap everything that happened yesterday. The baseball is a panic time in the Bronx. Eh, it's only 15 games, people, but you'll certainly get my hot take on what's happening with the Bombers as well as the Mets, who started off a 10-game road trip in Atlanta, winning those first two games. And you think that with Jacob DeGrom pitching last night after a bad performance there against the Twins on Tuesday that he would bounce back. That didn't happen. So now they stumble into Philadelphia at 500 so far on this road trip. I'll discuss that. But we're going to kick it off with what happened yesterday in Augusta. And as we've seen time and time again, whether it's an actor, a singer, maybe even the disgraced politician. Sometimes that athlete who has seen so much success and has won so much and then hits the little skid and then it really goes awry, whether it was something that happened in his personal life, but more so in his professional life, to have that person come back and wonder if they'll ever make it to the mountaintop in their sport, whether it's a pitcher, a point guard, Or even a quarterback. But in this case, it's probably one of the most, if not the most, famous athlete on the planet. And what you witnessed yesterday down Augusta with the one Eldrick Tiger Woods was anything short of magnificent. And I was glued to that more than the Islander game and the Celtic game, if you could believe that. And because they moved up the time, there was an impending storm that swept through the region there where the... Later tee times on the final round usually starts around 2 o'clock. They had Tiger tee off around 9.20 yesterday. And although CBS, I'm sure they weren't happy with that because they wanted to lead that into prime time in 60 minutes and so on and so forth. But just knowing that Tiger Woods was front and center at the Masters, a tradition unlike any other, I'm sure that they were sipping their Cabernet Sauvignon or Sauvignon Blanc, whatever it was that they were drinking yesterday, and boy, did they ever get a buzz. Because when you saw what happened, as especially the second part of that back nine, starting from hole 11, when Tiger was lurking, and granted that the day before on Saturday, even with Francesco Molinari, who had just a great tournament overall, and we'll get to the two holes at 12 and 15, which doomed him. But considering that Tiger was laying in the weeds pretty much since day one, even after Friday, same deal, and then Saturday with Molinari, with Brooks Kepka, who was a stroke behind, when you looked at Tiger going in with two strokes behind the leader, and it kind of brought you back to yesteryear in the sense of, can Tiger, the intimidation factor, now a much more mature Tiger, as we well know, considering the way he was in his early 2000s. But for him to be at this stage, for him to get to this point, 
a point where I'm sure he never thought and never even imagined, as you heard in the post-match conference. He thought he'd never be back. And I understand a lot of people want to attribute it to everything that happened back in 2009 on Thanksgiving evening with the personal issue with his ex-wife. That's not the case. That's been long in his rearview mirror, and I understand in the public eye, that's something that everybody will remember, and rightfully so. But remember, we're talking about the professional tiger, not the personal tiger. So everything that transpired, knee issues, back issues, him not being able to come back fully, the substance abuse issues that he had, remember that happened, I want to say 2016, maybe 2017, when he got pulled over, and obviously was high on meds. He was the butt of a lot of jokes through the late night talk show circuit, but here he was yesterday, ready to reclaim the throne. Just throw that word in there, because obviously that was a big word, throne, when it comes to pop culture and everything that uh, the anticipation of Game of Thrones last night. But to him to reclaim that throne and for him to do what he did, it was just remarkable. And that's why I was glued to the set pretty much from hole 11 to the end of the match because I had to witness that. And I get that the Islanders were playing a game three on the road. And I get that the Celtics were just opening up their postseason with all their issues that they had during the regular season. But I said, uh, I got to watch this because to me, if somehow, some way Tiger wins this match, this is going to be the most interesting sports story of the year by far. Because everybody's been waiting to see if Tiger, especially in a major. Now, he's won tournaments. Remember, toward the end of last year, he won the, uh, the last tournament of 2018. And a lot of people thought that, hey, this could be a springboard for next year. And although he has played well, but he still hasn't been able to claim that 15th major that has been eluding him for 11 years, going back to the U.S. Open and Rocco Mediate on one leg, if you recall. And that was 11 years since that last major, where everybody thought he was just going to blow by Jack Nicholas, who holds the all-time record for majors at 18. But now to the tournament itself, and really to yesterday. So I'm on 11, and he's two strokes behind. And the amazing thing is you had all these players in the mix here. It wasn't even just Molinari. It wasn't Kepka. You had Jason Day, who was in the mix. You had Patrick Cantlay, who certainly was on the come-up and just performed the Beautiful front nine. And in the back nine, of course, he faded away. Xander Shoffley, who was brilliant throughout the course of the day. But had a bunch of pars. And, of course, you can't get a ton of pars if you're going to win this tournament. you got to get some birds at some point. But he was also very good in his performance throughout the course of not only just the four days, but even yesterday. But Molinari, the opening that you saw with Tiger... More so on 15, but definitely when it came to 12, that's when you started to see the unraveling of Molinari. When he hit the ball in the drink, obviously lost those two strokes there. He bogeyed on that hole. But then 15 was the one that pretty much just turned everything upside down. When Molinari, on a par three, I don't know what he was thinking. It looked like it was a big, giant pop-up, and it just landed right in the water, and you thought to yourself, oh, this could be it. And then when Tiger's took his shot, instead of being aggressive, instead of looking at it from a perspective of, all right, I got him, let me just go right for the juggler, he said, uh-uh, I'm going to play this smart. And he just landed a beautiful shot, which was far from the cup, but still, playing it smart, he figured that, hey, if he's going to double bogey, all I do, need to do is just get par here, I don't need to try to hit a grand slam with no one on base. And then, of course, he proceeded to do that, and was able to make par, and I was just one stroke behind. And then on 16, I mean, what could you say? As a matter of fact, 16 was the hole that he had, the bird, because that was a par three. It was a par four on 15. So he actually birdied on 15, which got him even. And then on 16, that's when he went ahead. And at that point, you just knew that there was no way he was going to lose his match. Because then on 16, he landed that beautiful shot. I mean, literally feet from the cup. And even Tony Finau, who was also part of the mix here as far as the leaderboard is concerned, who faltered in that 11-15 to 15 hole, but he also had to play 16 very well too. But Tiger's shot on 16 was just unbelievable. 
That was vintage Tiger right there. And then you look at him getting the bird there. Now he's leading with two strokes, with two more holes to go. And the amazing thing is that Brooks Koepka, who had been performing well in the last year plus, here he was on 12 where he bogeyed, and then here he is on 18 going for bird. And a putt that was makeable. I mean, it wasn't impossible, and you know that 18 is tough to, that's a tough hole to make a long putt. The greens aren't too kind there, and you really have to be a surgeon to try to get any type of putt, whether it's from five feet, let alone 10 feet or more. And then here was Kepka, who had a chance to go bird, and if he was able to do that, it kind of falls under the radar. But if he was able to make birdie, remember, Tiger bogeyed on that last hole. So you would have had a playoff, which would have been fascinating beyond belief. But that's okay because even though Tiger did bogey the final hole and certainly his second shot after the 18, after him hitting it onto the fairway, but it was right near the rough, but that second shot made you wonder, ooh. But obviously Tiger was two strokes ahead. He certainly had some room to play with. And again, played it smart, didn't have to be aggressive. He knew that he was in control. Now, it's tough to see. You look at him, he's trying to control his emotions. I'm sure so much was going through his mind at that point, especially when he knew he had the two-stroke lead. And then, obviously, he sinks the bogey putt at 18 and wins his fifth green jacket, one more than Arnold Palmer, one less than Jack Nicholas all-time, his 15th major tournament. And I was happy for him. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the biggest Tiger Woods fan. No, not at all. But going back to what I said at the top, it's, it's a, not only a success story for him personally, and not to say that he's been an underdog in his sport his whole life, but to see the redemption, to see him being at the depths to the point where he didn't even think he was going to be anywhere close to where he was yesterday. Yeah, like I said, he did win some of those tournaments there at the end of the year, especially the one, the last one. I can't think off the top of my head what it was, but here he was now, front and center, CBS just doing backflips and somersaults and cartwheels, knowing that Tiger was here at Sunday wearing the vintage red with the mock neck, and for him to go ahead and pull out this victory, again, uh, if there's going to be a better sports story this year, I, I got to see it. And granted that there's still eight more months to go and we still have champions to be crowned in the NHL and NBA and World Series down the road, but still, it's not going to get any better than this one. Because for those who probably couldn't stand Tiger Woods, I'm sure there's a lot of Tiger Woods haters out there. But, you know, you had to be happy for him considering. And then him walking off the course, greeted by his son and daughter and his mom, his girlfriend, a bunch of friends, And not only that, but also the respect and even the, I'll say it, the love and adulation that he received from his peers, the Bubba Watsons of the world, guys like that who just embraced him and knew that Tiger, for everything that he's been through and everything that had transpired over the last decade, now has come to the point where he's reached the mountaintop. Now the big question is, is he there to stay? And... With the PGA next month, in fact, it'll kick off a month from tomorrow right here at Bethpage in our backyard in Long Island. Obviously, all the storylines are going to be about Tiger. Is his mojo back? Can he now stake his claim in golf and move up not only just in the rankings of the golf world, but just in a sense of the majors? And the one thing that you're going to look at here is that only because it's a month, and remember, the PGA was moved up. PGA is usually toward the end of the summer. They moved it up, which I thought was a smart move by them. Is that going to be enough momentum for Tiger to take into Bethpage for him to, I'm not going to say win. Now, I'm sure everybody's going to predict and think that, oh, Tiger's a shoe in the win. Well, everybody thought about Rory McIlroy coming into this weekend in the Masters, and where was he? He was nowhere to be found. <clears throat> Excuse me, I even said it last week. I said, listen, it could be Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka. Bubba Watson, and Bubba Watson, you know, played well. He was eight under for the tournament. Mickelson was nowhere to be found, although he had a tremendous start. But overall, 
for Tiger moving forward, you would think that this is just going to be a building block for what lies ahead. Now, the competition is stiff. The competition certainly isn't going to crack like they once did. Although I think Molinari, I will say this. I think the moment got a little bit too big for him. All right, on 12, okay, that happens. On 15, I don't know what he was thinking. And I forgot what he had, what what he used, what wedge to get out of there. But man, the, the minute that ball like went up in the air, it looked like he just got way too much air under it. And I don't know if that was just overthinking. I don't know if that was, who knows. But, and Molinari played great. But those two holes, and obviously at 15, with Tiger certainly breathing down his neck, that was just not the time to come up with a double bogey. And I think Tiger, obviously a lot of the buzz is going to be about him going into Bethpage. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh yeah, this is a lock. I don't know, you can't. You know, it's all based on how he feels, the body, etc. We know that even though he's a young 43 in life, but with all the surgeries and everything that he's had to endure over the last decade plus, who knows how it is getting out of bed this morning for him. I know he's savoring it. I know he's enjoying it. But at the same time, this was a grind. Is he going to have it in him come May 16th? Yeah, I'm sure he will be. But as the tournament progresses and who knows how the weather's going to be and who knows how the course is going to play out, that all remains to be seen. Listen, I hope he's in the mix come Sunday. And that's all any golf fan wants to see. Because when you think of golf, it's synonymous with Tiger Woods. Sorry, it's not Rory McIlroy. Yeah, to a certain extent, Phil Mickelson, okay. But when you think of golf, the first name is Tiger Woods. And if he's there on Sunday, just like he was yesterday, then you got a tournament. No offense to anybody else on the on the tour itself, but when you got a one Eldrick Tiger Woods there in the mix, you know you had a great tournament. All right, let's turn our attention now to... I'll get to the... Islanders in a second. I just want to turn my attention to the NBA as the first weekend of games are in the books. The Brooklyn Nets, uh, what could you say? Brooklyn Mets are, Nets were pretty much in cruise control. I understand that the Sixers cut into that lead a little bit, especially in the third quarter. But did you ever think that the Nets somehow, some way, and granted that, they're all the Nets. You can't trust them a thousand percent. But for whatever the reason, they certainly seemed to be cool, calm, and collected and certainly didn't look around to for any panic or any type of, uh uh-oh, what's going to happen here? D'Angelo Russell in his first ever playoff game drops in 26. Contributions from Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, and the Nets pretty much were in control of this game, I thought, 111-102. And now Brooklyn certainly playing with house money here. You know, this Sixer team, and I said this last week, if you didn't, if you missed my NBA playoff preview, I just posted it on Friday, so definitely go back and listen to that. As talented as the Sixers are, you just wonder where the heads of this team as far as their stars are concerned. Now, the Amir Johnson thing with the cell phone on the bench, he's a guy that wasn't playing, he was inactive. If that was the case, if he had an issue with his daughter, then why is he suited up on the bench in uniform and not in street clothes? So let's say, hey, if he needed to go into the locker room, which you saw him do after the fact because he had some personal matters to tend to, then you know what? He should have just been in street clothes. And I read on social media a couple of people that were saying that, hey, it's his daughter. You know, what is he supposed to do? He's not supposed to check? Well, guess what? If he's in street clothes, or I'm sorry, if he's in his uniform and he has his daughter on his mind, all he has to do is go to coach. Coach, I need to go to the locker room. I'm, I'm concerned about whatever is going on. That's personal. So that's none of my business. Whatever's happening with Amir Johnson, hope everything's fine, hope everything is great. Not being insensitive towards that. But if he knows he had something weighing on his mind that it was a family issue, and knowing that he wasn't going to play, then guess what? He's just sort of told coach, I need to go to the locker room, I got to check my phone, what have you, I'll be five minutes. And you know what? I understand the coach may not be happy about that, but still, you just can't pull that out right there on the bench and then have Joel Embiid, arguably the best player, just... Next to him, looking at it like, hey, you know, what's going on? It's bad optics. Can't do that. Sorry. And I understand the NBA bench is different than a dugout or even an NHL bench or even to a certain extent an NFL sideline because it's just so crowded. But still, you cannot just all of a sudden pull out your phone 
read texts, despite the fact that it was of the utmost importance, it's just inexcusable. Can't do it. As far as the Sixer team is concerned, I said this uh, the other day, if Ben Simmons is going to have games like he had on Saturday, 9.7 assists, 3 rebounds, then the Nets are going to win the series. And I'm not trying to say this is all about Ben Simmons because as I pointed out the other day, let Embiid get his, in this case, I think he only had, what, 23 and 15? But if they do that, then the Nets are definitely going to win the series. But even if Embiid goes off 35 and 17, whatever it may be, and Simmons is neutralized, and to a certain extent, Jimmy Butler, who had 36, then the Nets are going to win the series. Because Simmons, as we know, when he has those games where he doesn't need to score a ton of points, but if he goes, let's say, 13 points, but he has 17 rebounds and 14 assists, chances are Sixers are going to win that game. And I'm not going to say that if Ben Simmons goes, the Sixers go, but guess what? They'll go a long way if Ben Simmons has those type of performances. If he has the output that he did on Saturday, you can forget it. Yeah, they may win this series, but huh, they're going to go deep in this postseason with that with those type of stats. You could just might as well pack your bags and book your vacations to the Bahamas. Because that's where the Sixers season is going to go. And I understand the Sixers shot three for 25 from three. And I get that Jimmy Butler's not worried even after the game one performance. But And I can't take credit for it, but this Sixer team and the coach, let's face it, He's questionable at best. And it's saying he's doing a good job trusting the process, but now in big spots, you kind of wonder. His coaching is certainly, you know, long to be desired. But when you look at this team, as talented as they are, it's almost like they're independent contractors. You know, Embiid is Embiid, but at the same time, you know, he wants to be on the perimeter shooting threes all day, which I'm sure the the Nets would gladly take as he was 0 for 5 from 3. Ben Simmons, he's a guy that, if he's not on track, if he's not playing his game, and you see what he did on Saturday, then you know what's going through his head. Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, they're both free agents at the end of the year. So you mean to tell me if they're not down 0-2 that they're going to be halfway checked out to free agency? J.J. Reddick's also going to be a free agent. I mean, he's a season pro. That's not to knock any of the other guys I mentioned before. But again, this, this team does not seem to be cohesive. And I understand people say, well, Reels, what about the Celtics? They Look at the year they had. They're not cohesive. I'll get to them in a minute. But this Sixer team, I tell you, I want to not say that they're this type of team, but they're almost a front-running team. And what I mean by that is you know, when things are going well, when they're riding high and everything is comfortable and everything is great, then the Sixers are unbeatable. When it's a little bit of adversity, when guys – don't seem to be making shots or they just feel like they're just playing, just playing it. I don't know. I can't even put it to words. But it's one of those things that when they don't seem to be on the same page, and all it takes is just one guy, then everybody just seems to fall off. And that's what I'm afraid about the Sixers team. And it starts with the coach. And the coach did mention about the Amir Johnson thing. It's completely unacceptable. He gets that. Hopefully they nip that in the bud because if, who knows, they don't win tonight. I'm not going to say the series is over because you can see Philly going back to Brooklyn winning two of those games, but still, it does not bode well for them moving forward. As far as the Celtics are concerned, yesterday's game was just ugly. Now, again, I didn't watch most of the first half because I was into the uh, Tiger and the golf. But at one point, I'm just looking at the Celtics and they're down 46-38. And I'm texting with my cousin JD, and I'm saying, what's going on here? What's happening? Of course, bad shots, uninspired ball. You know, this is the moment they've been waiting for, considering that the regular season seemed to be a bore for the Celtics. But here's the one thing, the difference between, I think, Boston and Philly. So where the Philly fan may get on me, or the Celtic hater may get on me, it's like, oh, yeah, look at the way they play. They underachieved all year, and they did. But the one thing is, A, I trust the coach, unlike Brett Brown and Philly. And B... That the guys, despite the fact there may be different agendas and there's gripes about playing time, the Rosiers and the Jalen Browns of the world, not being too happy with that, with Gordon Hayward, not necessarily with them personally, but but you know that somehow, some way, they're going to come together and they're going to pull it out. And yesterday was just a prime example of that. Because you can't be down by eight. And granted, it was only in the second quarter. You can't be down and then all of a sudden think, or third quarter, whatever it was. You can't be down and then all of a sudden just 
turn it on where you had a 15-0 run and then you pretty much took the game in control from there and not have any type of setback, dysfunction, whatever it may be, because that's a game that if they're the Sixers and they're down like that, they probably won't even win that game. And I understand that anybody in the NBA could lose that type of game. But look at that. I mean, the Nets pretty much led that game from start to finish. And I understand three for 25 from three, but nobody rose to the occasion. Marcus Morris came off the bench, rose to the occasion. Kyrie did not have a great shooting game, 20 points, but had some big buckets when they needed it. Even Tatum had a few big buckets there, especially in the fourth quarter. I understand the game was out of hand, but still, it stabilized the game to the point where you didn't have to worry about Indiana making a run. So now the Celtics, let's see if they get their sea legs here. And that was an ugly game. That was a game that was a throwback to the 90s, 84-74. But I think Indiana will be heard from. I don't think it's going to be a short series by any stretch. I can see it going six games. But we'll see as they'll play game three, or excuse me, game two on Wednesday night. The other surprise is Orlando. And if you're going to get no points from your point guard, that's certainly not a good sign. And I understand he's been hobbling a lot throughout the course of the year. But the Orlando Magic, who would have thought that they would have gone in there game one and stolen that game the way they did with DJ Augustine hitting that three there that iced the game. That's just a bad job by Toronto. And Toronto's another team that is similar to Philly from this regard. You kind of wonder if they're a front-running type of team. You know, Pascal Siakam has had a, just an enormous year. He's come out of nowhere. We all know about Kyle Lowry when he's healthy. He's obviously a very quality top point guard. Obviously Kawhi. But this team, were they just sleepwalking through this, through this first game? No sense of urgency. Even when they took the lead late, you figure that, all right, this is the time we're going to step on Orlando's next. It's like, enough. That It's time for us to take over. And they didn't even do that. And I understand that when you have these type of teams that hang around, it gives them confidence. You're not going to blow these teams out every game. But to me, Toronto didn't even show any type of urgency here. And again, it's only one game. Can't get crazy. I'm not going to say the series is over. You'd be nuts to even think that. But let's see how Toronto comes out in game two. And you would think that Philly's going to come out roaring in game two. And the same thing with Denver. Now, this Denver series is a little bit more concerning because it's a bad matchup from this regard. You have the old guard with Popovich and LaMarcus Soldiers and even DeMar DeRozan, for that matter, going up against the young upstarts in Denver. And other than Nikola Jokic, and we understand, you know, Jamal Murray, and, you know, they have guys on the team that obviously have complemented that system in Denver. But still, they haven't won big games. They haven't been in the under the spotlight. And San Antonio playing with house money completely. This certainly isn't the Tim Duncan Spurs by any stretch. And now they have a one game to none lead. And let's see how Denver responds after a game one loss. And as far as the other games, I mean, what could you say? Houston obliterates Utah. Milwaukee just annihilates Detroit minus Blake Griffin. You also had the Warriors were in control despite the double technicals there with Patrick Beverly and Kevin Durant. As the Golden State Warriors looking to three-peat here. And then OKC, to me, this is about Paul George. And Paul George had a very good regular season, MVP caliber type season, 26 points on an 8 for 24. He's going to have to do a lot better than that. And Portland is a tough, they're a tough out, man. I Listen, they they just imploded last year. I mean, I don't know what happened that series against New Orleans. I mean, they went in riding high and then they were just, they were no-show. And I'm sure there's got to be that taste in their mouth going back to last year that, uh-uh, that's not happening again this year. And even though Westbrook got another triple-double, but the Blazers certainly right now looking to get a little payback not necessarily to Oklahoma City, but for everything that happened last year. And who knows what Oklahoma City. I mean, they're the type of team where they look like world beaters one day and then the next you kind of wonder, is like, wait a second. So we'll see how that uh, unfolds as the NBA playoffs have now kicked off and are in full effect. And now the NHL postseason, which is starting to get deep into the first round and 
I don't even know what to say about the Islanders right now because I was not expecting this. Game one was just electric. The fans were, I mean, man, they came out strong, proud, etc. in the old barn. Now, the thing is, moving forward, if the Islanders win tomorrow night, the game's going to be in the Barclays. Is there any way, shape, or form? Can they somehow, some way? All right, you have the next game, the next series there, but move it back to Long Island for if they do make a conference final and heaven's willing a Stanley Cup final. Now, that's way down the road. I can't think that far. But to have these games in the Barclays Center, no offense to the Barclays, but they need to be on a Coliseum. But one step at a time, the fans, everything, were just, they were just phenomenal there. And it was interesting, too, because at 3-2, when the Penguins pulled the goalie and they got that goal there late in the third period, and I thought to myself, oh, that's going to be a killer. How is this team going to overcome that, especially if the Penguins somehow, someway go in overtime and win this game? This would be a crushing loss to this franchise. And who knows they would have been able to dig out from under. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Anders Lee Johnny on the spot. Scores the game winner. They went on Friday after trailing one nothing, And then yesterday, down one nothing, And Jordan Everly, who has just been unbelievable so far this postseason with three goals already. And him having the biggest goal, probably of the series, to, to date. Now, I understand you could say that Anders Lee over time, and that was big. But think about this. They were down one nothing, And literally... 28 seconds later, they got the equalizer by Everly on that just terrible angle. Matt Murray, I don't know what he was thinking there, but certainly give credit to Everly on that shot. And then just uh, a minute and two seconds later, Brock Nelson just like that. And it was interesting because I'm watching the golf and I saw the goal by Pittsburgh. I'm thinking, all right, here we go. one nothing. Let's see how they get it back. And I went back to the golf and I went to commercial. I went back and it was 2-1. I said, oh, geez, what did I miss? And right then and there, when I saw 2-1, I thought to myself, I said, this is on the team. They've come to play this year. And they need one more to get the, to go on to the next round. Pittsburgh, oh, what could you say? Crosby's been left off the score sheet. Malkin just has had one measly goal. The Penguins certainly, they almost look defeated. And again, I didn't watch a lot of yesterday's game. But just hearing from the postgame, Patrick Sharp saying that, I don't know, they just look like they're lost. They don't have a clue. They don't have an answer. And you know what? If that's the case, then let them get swept. And sometimes with an aging team, and this team has been around a long time, people could look at their Stanley Cup victories two of the last three years and back-to-back, of course. But remember, this nucleus of Crosby, Malkin in particular, remember, they won a cup in 09 and then went to a cup in 08. So And Chris Letang, too. Let's not forget him. This team has been through a lot of battles. And who knows? Sometimes with these aging champions, look at the Pistons, 91, when they lost to the upstart Bulls. Not that I'm trying to compare the honors to the Bulls, but you get my drift. Who knows what they have left? Now, I'm sure for pride's sake, they're going to come out firing. But, you know, it's almost as if if the Islanders somehow, someway get that first goal, and let's just say for argument's sake, they can jump out to a 2 nothing lead, I could see them checking out. That's unlike a champion. That's unlike a team that has that type of pedigree. But who knows? They may look at it and say, hey, we're down 2-0. It's just not our year. But you don't want to breathe any life into them. I understand if they lose. You wanted to get a split coming out of the island. You get that. Or coming off of this, these two games and then go back to the island to play a game five. But you don't want, you want to try to knock them out. Don't look at this game as, ah, you know what, hey, we'll come back down 3-1 and win. Uh, there's no guarantees. <laughs> I know that building is going to be venomous. I know that they're going to be chomping at the bit. I get that, but you know what? Save those legs. Try to win that in four. Maybe the Caps, they'll get extended another game because they're up 2-0 against Carolina. And save whatever ammunition you have for the next round. That's how I look at it. Will they sweep? I think they can. And you know what? I'll go on a limb. I think they will. If not, they'll win in five. I understand it's me. <laughs> you know, watch. Next thing you know, it'll be game six in Pittsburgh. And uh, with a chance to go back to the island for game seven. Hopefully that's not the case. But I think the islanders, the way they're playing, and they're poised, and they've certainly answered the bell so far. Why would that let up here? At, just, at least in this series. After that, who knows? But uh, I think the Penguins right now, I think they're left for dead. 
Speaking of Left 4 Dead, the Lightning, how can you have a 62-point, or 62-win season, 128 points, possibly the MVP in the league in Nikita Kucherov, and for him, what he did in Game 2 with this board and to be suspended in Game 3, just stupid, which led to a few fights, which was great to see. Thank you. Thank you, the fight gods, because... As we've said time and time again, or I said time and time again, you know, this, the sport is just a shell of its old self. But for them to just lay the egg in game one, and let's face it, 3 nothing, game one, flying high over Columbus. The juggernaut, the boy, they have not skipped the beat. And ever since they had that 3-0 lead in game one, they have just, they've been, they've disappeared. They've been invisible. How could this happen? They're down 0-3, game four Columbus tomorrow. And then now, here's a team that could have been on a historic run, could be swept in the first round of a postseason. That is just disgraceful. And then to have your MVP on a boarding hit, get suspended, not playing smart, not knowing any better, and I understand it's a fast game and emotions. I get that. But that's just, to me right there, that's the reason why they, sh- they don't deserve to win the series. And chances are they're probably not. We know recent history shows that the NHL, if you're down 0-3, we've seen it with Philly beating Boston in 2012 and also just a couple years back with L.A. and San Jose. I think that was 2014. If I'm not mistaken. And I think the Bruins and Flyers, I think that was 2010, if I'm not mistaken. Because that was the year where you had Montreal and Philadelphia match up in the conference final. That's when Philly went to play Chicago and lost. So, as far as Tampa is concerned, I mean, that's just, I mean, you cannot play as poorly as they had. And it's inexcusable to the sense when they're up 3 three nothing in game one. I can see them getting swept. And boy, I'll be on here next week just lambasting them. And just, what could you say? That's like going 16-0 and in the regular season in the NFL and then the first round of the postseason or, you know, in the divisional game, you're up 14 nothing at home and then you end up losing 35-17. And that's what that was. I mean, geez. All right, to go to the rest of these series, Washington... As I said, two love over Carolina, so you look like you're going to have the Caps and Islanders in the second round. Toronto and Boston are 1-1. They each had 4-1 victories. Vegas 2-1 now after last night's 6-3 win when Mark Stone had three goals to assist. Big game for him. Ryan Reeves in a big scrap with Evander Kane. You'd like to see that, of course. And Reeves is a big guy. I mean, I would have loved to see Reeves fight back in the day. I mean, to call him the toughest guy in the league, it's saying a lot in any era, but it's just a shame that he's just the big fish in the small pond that is the NF, you know the NHL enforcers that are out there. So, but Vegas looking to uh, continue to march on just like it did last year. St. Louis with a big win yesterday as they got back into the series against Winnipeg because they were down two love, especially losing the first two games at home. Nashville and Dallas. Nashville getting the overtime victory, which was big for them because they would have been down 0-2 going back to Dallas, but they did get the victory as they'll have a Game 3, I believe, tonight. Same for Calgary, Calgary and Colorado, where Colorado won in overtime. And if even that series at one apiece, shifting now to Denver. And you're going to get a bunch of overtime games. It's the postseason. It's NHL as it is. And we understand playoff hockey is unlike any other. Especially when you're getting overtime, but boy, I miss the toughness. And just to see a little bursts of it, I guess you could say. A little bit in the game two with Tampa and Columbus, and then even last night there with San Jose and Vegas. It was just good to see, and uh, I just wish we could see more of it. So, certainly continue to uh, keep our finger on the NHL and NBA postseason pulses as we move on. All right, now, as far as the baseball is concerned. Let's say, let, Yankee fans, and everybody knows I can't stand the Yankees. And in fact, my sports day yesterday would have been complete if the Mets would have won because you had Tiger winning, Islanders winning, Celtics winning, Yankees losing, and then the Mets, of course, lost last night. So I couldn't get a clean sweep, be that as it may. 
But the Yankees, there's no need to get crazy right here at this juncture on April 15th. I get it that they're 6-9. and nine. I get it that they've not performed. But we all know this team is a mash unit. Reminds me of the 9 Mets. Not that I'm trying to compare those two teams. But it just seems like another person is just dropping like flies. Now you had Gary Sanchez on the DL. We know about Dellen Patances now. Who knows how long he's going to be out. The setback with Severino. We may not even see him this year. Miguel Andujar, same with him with his shoulder. You already have Stanton out. Hicks out. The list goes on and on and on. CeCe saved your bacon there on Saturday because if not, you would have been swept by the White Sox. And if you minus the three games against the Orioles down in Baltimore, you're 3-9 and nine this year. But with all those injuries, my guys, listen, you can't get crazy. Now, Tampa's gotten off to a torrid start, 12-4. and four. They've certainly backed up their 91 season with a great start now. Let's see if they can maintain that. But if you're a Yankee fan, you just need to take a deep breath and relax. And I get that the Red Sox are coming in for two games, and they certainly haven't fared any better. But you just have to ease back a little bit. And I understand you're going to use the injuries as an excuse or as a crutch, and rightfully so. When all your top players are pretty much out, uh, what can you expect? You know, catcher, left fielder, your shortstop's been out. That's just how it is. You got to play through it. And the Yankees will be fine. Please, if anybody's going to think that the Yankees are going to just fall by the wayside and not to be heard from again, and jeez. You know, people talk, oh, come on, now you got to go out and sign Dallas Keuchel. Jeez, uh, come on. Come to me in June and July. If this team is still playing bad, and, and especially with their talent, that's out of the lineup, and when they come back, if they're still that playing under 500, then you know what? There's a cause of concern. Right now, this isn't the NFL. You know, it's not like the season's ending uh, Memorial Day. So I, I'm not going to get wrapped up into the Yankee fans' misery right now and then panicking. I mean, that's just nonsense. Please. As far as the Mets are concerned, the only thing I'm going to say here is that is there any concern for Jacob DeBrom? DeGrom? No. To see him perform the way he did, especially against Minnesota. I mean, they smacked the ball all, around, all over the ballpark. Three home runs, eight hits. And that was bound to happen. And then you had a Braves team last night that just made him work, 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 work. Five runs in five innings through 114 pitches. A lot of walks for Jake. Certainly not a good performance by him. But the one thing about the Mets that you, you're overly concerned about, I'll go through the good, bad, and the ugly. How about that? The good is what you've seen from Pete Alonso. Now, I understand he's been okay at first base. He's had a couple of moments where, you know, he's butchered balls, balls went through his legs. And I get that he's a rookie, it's going to happen, but you, you want to see better play. But what he's done so far at the plate has just been unbelievable. Hitting rocket shots all over the ballpark. His major career is off to a great start. Hopefully he can continue to keep it up. Now, he's not going to continue to have bat 370, but at the same time, he's certainly doing what he can to keep himself in the lineup. Which, Mickey, that was a joke. Why was he in the lineup on Friday? It was just beyond me. Oh, you know, we just want to give him a rest. Come on. Guy's 25 years old. He's in the major leagues. He's thriving off this. The only thing you need to do is just put him on the bench to cool him off for one night. Give me a break. Anyway, that's the good. You want to throw in Jeff O'Neill and what he's done. Obviously, Conforto's had a great start. The Mets at now 9-6. and six. All that's all the good. The bad, Cano, after opening day, has done nothing. DeGrom, we understand the two starts is going to happen, but hopefully he'll bounce back in St. Louis, which will be his next start. You're not going to see him in a series against Philadelphia. And then the ugly is that bullpen. Other than Edwin Diaz, I tell you, it is a, oof, it's a horror show. Lugo, who's had some moments, but he has not been good. Gaselman has been worse. And anybody after that, uh, Familia is always a tightrope. Forget about Tim Peterson and Luis Avalon and did I even say Jason Vargas? Ugh, that's probably the uglier than ugly. And they're saying that his spot in the rotation is fine for now, but Vargas, I tell you, by June, if he's continuing like this, just DFA him. Pay him whatever the rest of the $9 million is and just goodbye. 
And then again, Met fan, oh, let's get Dallas Keuchel. Keuchel's not going to come here and solve your... Starting pitching is the last thing the Mets got to worry about. Unfortunately, Vargas is going to be there because you're not going to stretch out Lugo or Corey Oswalt or anybody like that. And as it is, I don't care how often Keuchel's been working out, but to have him be signed onto this team... He's going to have to go through an extended spring training. You're probably not going to see him until June if the Mets were to sign him right now. So you got to ease back with that. Really what the Mets, and this is what you're hoping. The Mets, you got to get consistency out of Wheeler, who pitched better there on Friday night. Same with Mats. Jake and Noel come around. And Noel, who pitches tonight in Philadelphia, as they'll see Bryce Harper and company for the first time. That's, that's what your concern there. The bats are going to cool off. You know, Alonzo's going to cool off. McNeil's going to cool off. Conforto, et cetera. Rosario's actually been playing well. I know he's hitting in the 250s, but he's gotten big hits. But as long as the Mets continue to rake and just get some decent starting pitching from the bottom part of that rotation, they'll be fine. And hopefully you could just... The best thing would be seven innings by each starter. All right, you're going to give the one inning to Familia, fine, and then Diaz, and then go home. That's it. You don't want these guys going five innings. Dare I say six. And because, again, this bullpen is... It's a horror show. I don't like what I've seen from it. You hold your breath. It's just ugly. And then the Mets go to St. Louis to cap off this 10-game homestand. So we'll see what happens there. Now, of course, I mentioned Tampa as far as being a surprise. What about Colorado, man? And I even mentioned baseball preview. Colorado could be that team that's going to be on the other side. I understand they've had success the last two years. I just thought they're starting pitching as good as it was last year. Can they get a repeat performance in the Kyle Vreelands of the world and the Herman Marquez's? And so far, what you're looking at is 4-12. and 12. And at the bottom of the NOS. And again, I understand it's early and a lot could happen. We understand. But still, that's just, just an awful start. And Tampa, what can you say? They're already five and a half games ahead in the division. And it's April 15th. Everybody else is one, two games. They're five and a half. Are they going to run away and hide? Oh, man, that'd be something. Now, again, they have not played the Yankees yet, nor the Red Sox. You know, they've beaten up on the Giants, the Blue Jays. What did they play at opening week? Well, actually beat Houston that opening week. And then Houston, of course, is starting to bounce back. So that's what you have there as far as the baseball is concerned. One last thing, I know I didn't mention this uh, from a basketball note. Magic Johnson, who last week stepped down as Lakers president just like that. And you kind of wonder what's going to happen there in La La Land with the Lakers, considering that they're looking at coaches. Luke Walton now is gone and going to sign with Sacramento. So he certainly didn't uh, have to go to the unemployment line. He just got picked up by Sacramento. I think that's a good hire by them because they have a young team. They have a nucleus where... Right, they won 39 games for the first time in forever. So you would think that they would just build from that and to get a young coach like Luke Walton in there, I think will do well. I'm not saying Luke Walton is John Wooden, but you know, you don't want to get a guy who's older, who's a, a retread. And despite the fact that now you could say Luke Walton is a retread, but I think he will relate more to the younger players than maybe an older guy would. And that's pretty much throughout all sports, as you've seen time and time again with these hires. But Magic just saying, ah, I'm done. That's it. But there were a lot of rumors about the reason being that Magic stepped down was that he actually had a person in mind to coach the Lakers who was under contract. Name wasn't released and was brought to Jeannie Buss and Jeannie Buss said no. And because of that, Magic said, all right, I'm out. That was the rumor. So Magic now wants to go to tweet. I'm sure he wants to mentor some of these younger players. He could go ahead and do that without tampering. So turmoil in Hollywood with the Lakers after everything that they've ensued this year. And let's see what happens this offseason as we uh, say goodbye to the Lakers for 2019 until at least July 1st. Or at least until the draft come late June. All right, people, that's it for me. Uh, I could talk a little bit more, but at the same time, uh, my throat is a little bit dry. And uh, pretty much uh, targeted, touched on everything. NFL schedule will be out, I believe, next Thursday. but you Or actually this Thursday, where the draft is next Thursday. So you'll probably start seeing some leaks for some upcoming games for 2019. 
And I think the rest of the schedule will be released probably Thursday. They usually have the primetime special at 7 on ESPN. So uh, tune your eyes on that. I'm sure all the NFL hive is going to be waiting with bated breath to see what's going to be the opening week's games, Thanksgiving, etc. But uh, thanks for listening to this podcast, for downloading, getting a chance to hear me he- uh, spew about what's happening in the world of sports. Obviously, all of my social media accounts, you can check me out. J Reels on Instagram, J Reels, just the number one Twitter. J Reels Podcast on my Facebook page. Email addresses the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send me any questions, comments, criticism, praise. Also, people, I implore you just to subscribe. Even take a screenshot. Please do that on Instagram. Take a screenshot that, hey, you subscribe to the J Reels Podcast. I'll put you up on my IG story, whatever it may be. Even use Alexa or Google. Or I think it's the same thing, right? Google, Alexa, or Siri. Hey, Siri, play the J-Reels podcast. It's going to pop right up. As a matter of fact, I'm going to try that right now. You ready for this? I'm going to just do a little test here. Hey, Siri, please play the J-Reels podcast. Okay, J-Reels final word podcast coming up. It's funny. It's going to play the final word podcast because I do have the final word when I was back in the day with JD, but as it's going to play right now, okay. But anyway, just go to the J Reels podcast. It'll pop up. If J Reels Final Word pops up, don't subscribe to that. That was my old show. Uh, please subscribe, leave a message, uh, post a review, leave a rating, all that, because that's just going to increase the visibility of the program with all the others in the sports podcast universe. I would sincerely, gratefully, thankfully, all that appreciate your love and support when it comes to that as I deliver everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Rolls Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, to the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Rolls Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>